Hello and welcome to this edition of Café Klingendaal. My name is Rem Korteweg and I'm joined here by Sikko van der Meer, research fellow at the Klingendaal Institute, who has been following North Korea for quite some time. And we're going to talk about North Korea, Trump, uh, what comes next, and also about what this means for Europe. Sikko, over the past few weeks, we've seen an escalating war of words between Donald Trump on the one hand and Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea, on the other. There's been saber rattling, military exercises, missile launches, nuclear tests. It was all very concerning. But over the past couple of days, it seems that tensions have subsided a little bit. We haven't heard as much. Is this the calm before the storm or is really something happening on the diplomatic front? It's difficult to say, actually. The only thing you can say is that, well, we're talking now about a couple of days without any saber-rattling. And if you see how long North Korea is working on this kind of provocations already, it's really nothing, you know. They're working on this kind of nuclear missile developments for decades already. The only thing that's new is that Trump is in the White House and normally American presidents are quite... Let's say relax, take, they say stay calm, you know, North Korea is not going to harm us, we just talk to them or we, we have a strategic patience like Obama did. Now we have a president that just goes shouting against Kim Jong-un the same way Kim Jong-un is shouting to the United States. That's the new thing, I think, the new development. And well, you're right, the past couple of days, uh, well, we didn't see any shouting or missile test or other provocations. But I'm afraid uh, it will not be the end of the saber rattling. If this isn't the end, what um, comes next? What do you expect? I think from the North Korean side, they will go on with nuclear tests, missile tests, just to improve their weapons. And well, they see their nuclear weapons really as, as core of their, their, their defense, core of the deterrence uh, against the United States. The most surprising will be what comes from the United States. Uh, Trump is really frustrated, and I do understand that, about the... Uh, improvement of, of missile technology in, in North Korea. Very soon North Korea can launch nuclear missiles towards cities in, in the United States and Trump has promised, so to say, that he will prevent that. The difficulty is how is he going to prevent it? I, I don't know what, what his plans are, but that will be very difficult. But then can I ask you, what is the logical next step from the White House perspective? Is it to escalate? Is it to find a way for diplomatic dialogue? Is it to put further pressure on China? What can the United States do besides military moves? The problem is that there are, there are no good options left. All options have been tried already and they do not work. You can escalate in the military sphere, you know, by uh, a surprise attack, uh, precision attacks on military in uh, installations, nuclear installations. But you're quite sure that um, North Korea will not accept that without any retaliation. And if they retaliate, it will be retaliated against South Korea, the big ally or the small ally of the United States. And and then you get a cycle of escalation and very soon it could be a full-fledged war. So that's a big risk you take with military action. Well, sanctions have been tried and Trump is again saying we need more sanctions, we, meet, we need China to do more. But the problem is that um, North Korea knows how to survive sanctions for decades already. You know, they, they are very strong in illicit trade. Um, for example, last weekend it was in the news again that in August a ship near Egypt was captured by uh, Egyptian um, customs. 
and they had for 23 million of uh, weapons on board, illegal weapons exported by North Korea. So they, they, they don't care about sanctions, you know, it's even their, their state ideology that says uh, we want to be isolated, we don't want to deal with foreign nations, you know. So sanctions will not be the solution. And diplomacy as a third possible step, we have tried that a lot during the past decades. And I think that it is needed to, to talk with North Korea, not because it will change much, but it will uh, retain the status quo. And I think that's very important to stop the cycle of escalation. I think it's very difficult to stop their improvement in nuclear and, and missile technology, but at least prevent further escalation and tension, which may cause miscalculation, miscommunication, and this conflict. I think for that, diplomacy is really key. So when you listen to commentators, China is oftentimes seen as holding the key to a solution with respect to the North Korean crisis. Uh, do you see it that same way? Not completely. It's mostly American experts that say it. And of course, China has an important role because China is the lifeline of North Korea. Sanctions do not work because China well, keeps the border quite open and uh, well, goods are coming in and out to North Korea through China. The problem with China is that they don't like North Korea at all. They support North Korea for only one reason, and that's being called the instability card that North Korea is playing. North Korea threatens China quite openly, even during negotiations, they say, please, friends in, in Beijing, don't be do too tough against us because you know what will happen. First of all, you have gayers at your border. You have flows of refugees coming in your border if things are going wrong in, in, in North Korea. And after that, if everything is solved, you know, after the gayers and conflict in your border region, American troops will be at the border because North Korea will unite somehow, somehow with South Korea and then you have lost your zone of influence. And this is called the instability card with which they pressure China to help them. And well, so far it's working quite well. You paint a very bleak picture about what can be done and um, what the next steps are. It seems like there are no good options, as you say. When we look at the proliferation of missile technology, but also for the potential for real conflict in Northeast Asia, it raises the question, what does this mean to Europe? In Europe, at least my personal observation is, we have a very um, limited debate about the North Korean crisis. But what are the interests at stake for European countries? That's a good point. Uh, I agree with you that in Europe there's quite little attention for the European role in, in, in the situation on the Korean Peninsula. When I talk to diplomats from European countries, they always say, yeah, well, it's a, it's a case for the Americans and the Chinese. We don't have a big role there. But I think there's quite something uh, at stake there. Uh, apart from human rights in North Korea, which are terrible, and apart from international stability in which we should play a role, there's also a big economic uh, uh, reason to, to be more involved, you know? When a conflict would escalate on the Korean Peninsula, uh, you talk about devastating war with South Korea, but also Japan may be a target, China may have, have losses, you know? And well, in Europe, uh, we have a, a big trade route with, with, those, with those countries. So the economic impact of, of a conflict there would really damage to the European economy. And if you go one step further and you really talk about full-fledged war, even with nuclear weapons, well, there may be even uh, uh, environmental damage, etc., to Europe, you know? So I think that's not 
at stake now, but in the longer term, I think it should be really wise for Europe to have more involvement. What kind of role could Europe play? Of course, diplomatic. I think Europe could play a, an, an influent diplomatic role because we are seen by both parties, you know, the Americans and, and the North Koreans, as a more or less neutral party. Um, so we could have more diplomatic role. But also, you m might might think about assisting the Americans in uh, their deterrence. You know, for example, military uh, uh, help to the Americans, to the South Koreans, to the Japanese, just to deter North Korea from doing weird things. I don't think that's the, the wise step now. I think dip diplomacy is the first step to do. But we should be prepared for more escalating scenarios as well in Europe. So does that mean that NATO should perhaps speak out on the North Korean crisis? I don't know whether NATO should speak out at this moment, but I think NATO should be prepared at least for potential future steps there. You know, if indeed the Americans decide to do an invasion there, I don't hope so because it will escalate. But what do we say as NATO partners in Europe when, when Trump asks us, do you join our, our forces? And also after that, you know, if there is an escalated conflict, Will NATO assist in stabilizing North Korea? If the regime has been removed, you need a very expensive, long, difficult stabilization mission. Because what to do with this very poor country with 25 million brainwashed people, you know? You can't just let it alone like we did with Iraq after the invasion there, you know? You need to stabilize the country. And I think NATO countries and also EU could play a big role there. And it's always easy to talk about NATO or Europe as if they are distant entities in Brussels. But are you also then appealing to the Dutch government to play a stronger role or perhaps at least be prepared for some of the questions that you raise? I think so. I think a specific Dutch diplomatic role, apart from the EU, is not really feasible in this instance. We don't have an embassy in Pyongyang, for example. Um, of course, from Seoul you could do some things, but at least I think the Netherlands should also be more prepared what to do if we get requests from the United States, for example, in, in joining any military action or joining a stabilization operation in Korea. Of course, the Netherlands was active in the Korean War in the 1950s. Uh, quite some Dutch soldiers died there. And yeah, I think we have a responsibility also, uh, you know, uh, in the constitution for international stability, human rights in, in North Korea. So at least some preparedness would be wise. And well, maybe we can think about more creative uh, ways in dealing with diplomacy around the Korean Peninsula. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Siko, for your insights. I'm sure we're going to be returning to the very complex but very important question of how to respond to the North Korean crisis in podcasts to come. If you want to stay updated on Café Klingendal podcasts, please subscribe to our newsletter at www.klingendal.org. <laughs>